Well, good morning, everybody. I want to say hello to those of you joining us uh, just now via video feed from Knox Hall. All of you gathered over there, good morning to you, as well as those of you watching online or listening by radio. Glad we can all be together uh, in person or via, via technology. Uh, when do you think uh, children develop the capability to lie? It's earlier than you think. Uh, researchers used to believe that children started lying uh, when they became school age. Later research showed that kids started to lie as soon as they started to speak. And now some research shows that kids are able to lie even before they're able to speak. Uh, kids under three years old uh, sometimes fake cry to get attention, and that is a form of lying. Now, when kids start out lying, they're usually not very good at it, but it's an art that we get better at as we age. Uh, kids often aren't, aren't really good at this. Uh, if I watch, watch, this, uh, watch this example. Hey, Jack. Did, did you eat a cupcake? No. You didn't eat a cupcake? No, I was at home. You sure you didn't eat a cupcake? No. Hmm. I thought you maybe had a cupcake. No. No? No. Definitely not? No. Not like in the last couple minutes? No. No cupcake for Jack? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. He did not eat the cupcake. There's a fascinating TED Talk by a researcher uh, by the name of Kang Lee, and his research uh, with children shows that lying is culturally universal. They've, they've done experiments with uh, g games with kids to watch how they interact, and they've done this in the United States and China and Germany, and remarkable similarities in how cultures approach this, that everybody, every culture lies. And while lying might frustrate parents, uh, he says uh, the ability to lie actually demonstrates important steps in human development. Kids develop uh, differentiation. I am not you, and, uh, and you don't know everything that I know, and that's actually an important step in development. Uh, kids are demonstrating self-control, that they can control their facial expressions and their, their uh, body language to tell a convincing lie. And, uh, and actually, that is an important skill to be able to control your communication. So instead of being mad at our kids for lying, uh, we can be proud of their healthy development. <laughs> when our uh, son Duncan was not even three years old, we were visiting with some friends who had a child the same age, and the parents were in one room and the kids were in another, and we heard a commotion, and the parents ran out, and their daughter was holding her head and our son was holding a plastic bat. And I asked him, Duncan, did you hit Becca? And he said, yes, all bright-eyed. And then I said, did, did you hit her on purpose or on accident? And he said, on purpose. And, I, you know, I, my questions were designed to help him get off the hook because I was embarrassed too, and I was, I was questioning him like his attorney or something. Uh, but isn't it true, Duncan, that while you swung, swung the bat intentionally, the bat unintentionally made contact with Becca's head, right? I was trying to help him uh, get out of this. And actually, his, his bright honesty, I was really proud of him, uh, but after this TED Talk, I've learned that he was probably just developmentally behind. <laughs> but all kids get this. All kids learn to lie. We learn to lie, and we learn to lie in all kinds of ways. We learn to lie without actually technically lying. 
We've all done this. You can make a statement that is technically true, but it is designed to mislead the other person. Uh, last Sunday, I was talking to some people in the hallway who were getting ready for their dentist appointment, and they were preparing. We were talking about the inevitable question that you know the dental hygienist is going to ask you, did you floss? And you don't want to say uh, no, especially after the lecture you got last time you were there. But you don't want to say yes, so you come up with something else. You say, you know, honestly, I don't floss every day. Which is technically true. I don't floss any day. That's what I said, every day I don't floss. I don't floss every day. But my inflection and my tone was designed to lead her to think that I floss most days. Now, I wouldn't flat out lie if I were questioned. If she said, are you saying you floss most days? I would say, I, I don't floss most days. And if she said, do you floss any day? I would say, well, I, I don't floss. I don't floss. I, would, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't flat out lie because lying is wrong, but misleading, spinning, manipulating, exaggerating, I feel just okay about that. And we do this in a variety of ways. Uh, we don't reveal the whole truth, which is another form of lying. Angie and I have this thing, it's become a joke now, but uh, she'll come home and say, it's, you know, we're going out, we have plans to go out to dinner, and she wants to make sure I didn't eat snack too much before dinner, and she'll say, what did you eat? And I'll say, um, I had some grapes. And then she narrows her eyes and she says, and, 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 I, and some chips, and, and a chocolate cheesecake. <laughs> did I lie? I did not lie. Did I withhold the full information? Was my intent to mislead, to conceal? Absolutely. And we learn to do this in all kinds of ways. We do this in large ways. We do this in small ways. Uh, we lie to impress people. We lie to get out of trouble. We lie to get things. We lie to sell things. We lie to other people. We lie to ourselves. And we lie to our God. Now, of course, God cannot be fooled. When we lie, we must look to God like a kid with cupcake frosting all over his mouth who insists that he didn't eat the cupcake. Adam and Eve, did you eat from the fruit of the tree? Me? What? Which, which tree? That, that, oh, that, uh, no, it, it was the woman. It, it was the serpent. It was, oh, there's nobody else around yet. Uh, by a show of hands, let's just level the playing field. How many of you here today would be willing to admit, uh, have you ever lied at any point in your life? Would you raise your hands? <laughs> have you ever lied about lying? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus talks about truth-telling in today's passage. He says, you have heard that it was said, do not break your oath, fulfill your vows, but then in characteristic Jesus form, he says, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem, and do not swear by your head. Now, we're tempted to skip this because either we don't understand it or we think we've got this one nailed down. Uh, to my knowledge, I have never in my lifetime ever sworn by heaven or by earth 
and I definitely have never sworn by Jerusalem or by my head. So I'm good with this. I, I wouldn't even know how to do those things if I wanted to do them. And some people have kind of taken this teaching of Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount kind of mechanically or literalistically as to be a command never to take an oath of any kind. And so folks that interpret it this way, uh, don't join the military, they won't become citizens, they won't testify in court, uh, they won't join the Boy Scouts, they won't do anything that might involve oath-taking. But that, that is not Jesus' concern here. Remember, in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about what real inner goodness looks like, what real righteousness looks like, and he's contrasting it with, with, with the conventional understanding of righteousness from the law. Now, because every culture has lying, every culture has some form of oath-taking, right? For, for, for kids, uh, this starts with the idea of a promise. We want somebody to really believe us as kids, and I promise. And those words are intended to be added to a phrase that you might not otherwise believe. You might not know if I'm telling the truth or not, so I say, I promise. And there are lots of other variations of this that kids use. Cross my heart, hope to die, and in some neighborhoods they add, stick a needle in my eye. That's how serious I am. If I had a phrase like that, you really know that I must be telling the truth. And kids aren't the only ones that do this. Uh, the adult version is an oath. An oath is a promise, but an oath is usually tied to something sacred. So even today, people will say, I swear on a stack of Bibles. I, I, I swear on all that's holy. I swear on my grandmother's grave. Uh, the ancient world had this as well. Every culture has some form of oath-taking. This is true for the Israelites as well. Long ago, in the Old Testament, they were commanded to make oaths in the name of the one true God. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and what? Take your oaths in his name. They're commanded to this. Take oaths in his name. And from Genesis 14, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And even today, in courtrooms, even today, they will sometimes say, raise your right hand. That's where this comes from. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the what? The whole truth and nothing but the truth so help you God now a good Jewish person uh, would not want to say the word God because the name of God is considered so sacred so holy it should not even be spoken and so they would replace that substitute that with Jerusalem or with heaven but the idea is the same oath taking is just fine but Jesus says what if you just told the truth all the time what if people never had to wonder if you were telling the truth or not? If your word was so good, you didn't have to add any special phrases. John Stott points out that promising or oath-taking is really, he says, a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. Because why do we find it necessary to introduce our promises with some tremendous formula? The only reason we do it is we know that people uh, won't trust our word and so we try to induce people into believing us by adding a solemn 
oath. But Jesus said, all you need to say is simply yes or no. A good person doesn't only tell the truth when they're under oath. A really good person tells the truth all the time. No deception, no spin, no manipulation. The word of a good person is always good. A good person doesn't even need a system of oaths. Their yes means yes, and their no means no, and it's really a better, more free way to live. Mark Twain said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember everything. Have you found that? Just tell the truth, and you never get caught up in one of those webs where you need a lie to defend a lie to defend a lie? In the time that remains... uh, for this sermon, the time allotted to me, I want to uh, do a a case study with you on one of the most famous lies, uh, a spectacular lie from the Bible. And the liar in this case is the Apostle Peter. This is a lie that he told, and we'll kind of do an anatomy of a lie here, of a lie. Uh, Anybody remember what Peter's uh, occupation was? He was a fisherman. Are fishermen known for their honesty? Uh, not really the kind of a reputation uh, for exaggeration maybe have you noticed that that fishermen always catch bigger fish in the absence of witnesses (laughs) they should have seen the one that got away but Peter is a man of faith and he is becoming a man of truth his real name is Simon and you may remember that Jesus gave him the nickname Peter which means rock And there's some irony in his name, you may remember, because Peter is no rock at all. He is up and down, back and forth. He's only the rock if the rock is on a roller coaster or something. But Peter will grow into his name. He will grow into his name. The night before Jesus died, Jesus gathers together with all his disciples, and he tells them some hard news. He says that every one of them will disown him. And that's where we pick up our story, Matthew 26. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Do you think Peter meant that when he said it? I think so. I don't think any of us question the sincerity of Peter. Peter is willing and ready to die with Jesus. He's the rock. But we'll see how the rock quivers so soon. A few hours later, Jesus is on trial uh, to be crucified. And it says, Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Now notice he does not say, I've never followed Jesus. That lie would be too blatant. He doesn't go that far. He simply says, I don't know what you're talking about. And maybe he even believes this is true. Almost, I'm not sure what you're really asking. I don't understand this conversation. And this is the way lying works. We will rationalize it in in real time. Right in a conversation, we'll convince ourselves that what we're saying isn't actually a lie at all. We lie to protect ourselves, mostly. And this is where the teaching of Jesus about the kingdom of God is so helpful. When you live as a kingdom person, 
you are less concerned about what other people think about you. You're less concerned about what will even happen to you because your security comes from God. You know that in the kingdom, your life is never ultimately at risk. Nothing can separate you from God's love. And so it doesn't really matter what people say about you or even do to you. Uh, You trust God for your future. Your affirmation comes from God. You won't feel the need to spin or manipulate or impress or protect when you live as a kingdom person because those roles all belong to God. Peter here is in protecting mode. And we're told in the next verse that he went out to the gateway. Peter went out to the gateway. He went out where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, uh, Peter's getting farther away, and this is what happens when there's lying. There's a distancing. There's an avoiding physically, emotionally that happens, and Peter is removing himself here. Then uh, it says in verse 72, he denied it again with an oath. He's going to pull out the oath to convince people. I don't know the man. Cross my heart, hope to die. We don't know what kind of oath was invoked here, whether Peter swore by Jerusalem or by heaven or by his head. It doesn't say, but it does sound like this oath did not convince people on this day. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Peter, like Jesus, was from Galilee, and people from Galilee had an accent, And the people from the big city of Jerusalem, a Galilean, uh, sounded like a hick. Like an uneducated, backwoods person. And Peter's cowering now. He's being exposed. He's being cornered. You can feel his confidence slipping away. He denied it with his oath. I don't know the man. Then after a little while, those standing, uh, wherever, give your accent gives you away. Next verse. Then he began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. Uh, who is he cursing here? It's not clear whether he's cursing himself, whether he's cursing the people, like leave me alone. Uh, some commentators think he's cursing Jesus. Like curse him, forget about him. I don't know him. He means nothing to me. Curses on him. That's how much I'm going to convince people that I don't care about him. Peter's first concern now is only himself. In this moment, he is living in the kingdom of self. And when you live in the kingdom of self, you feel the need to protect and preserve and manipulate and spin. He's grasping to preserve himself. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Right? Peter weeps. He, he didn't plan to get here. He's probably not sure how he got here. He started out with the best of intentions. His commitment to Jesus is pure and sincere. It just unfolded so quickly. And before he knew it, he was trapped in this web of lies And you and I know what that feels like. The crow of a rooster snaps him back into hard reality. Maybe you remember the words of Jesus that we studied today. Again, you've heard that it was said. Jesus said, do not break your oath, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all 
All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. There's a uh, tradition, we don't know if it's true or not, that says that whenever Peter was preaching in the years after this, if someone wanted to really discourage Peter or get under his skin, they would heckle him uh, during his speaking by making the sound of a rooster crowing, reminding him of his failure. But the story of Peter is not over here. And you know that Jesus was crucified. He was buried. He did rise again. And the women went to the tomb early one day and they find that Jesus has resurrected and there's an angel there. And the angel says a very curious thing to the women. Uh, she recorded in Mark 16. The angel says, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Peter was a disciple. The angel could have said disciples. That would have included Peter. Why did the angel separate Peter specifically? It's like God wanted to say, Peter, you are still my disciple. You big fat liar. <laughs> I haven't given up on you. There is still work for you to do. There is grace for you. There is forgiveness for you. There is strength for you. You are the rock. And it's so interesting that the same Peter, years later, would coach other disciples with these words, therefore, rid yourselves of all deceit. Friends, let us live as kingdom people. No deceit, no spin, no manipulation, true to our word, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let the chips fall where they may because you are never at risk in God's kingdom. You are a beloved, secure child of the king. And that's the truth. Cross my heart. Let's pray. I'm going to begin this prayer by reading portions of Psalm 139. I just want to encourage you to incorporate these words into your prayer right now. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I hide from your presence? Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. O oh God, you are truth and light. Help us to live as kingdom people Help us to find our rest, our confidence, our source in you. We come now to the table of Jesus. We come as liars and sinners, and yet we come at your invitation. We come for the kind of food that only you can provide. Grant us grace, set us free, consecrate our lives for we offer them to you.
You are the bread of life and the hope of this world. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. And everybody said.